do a lot of talking, bro. You do a lot of talking. All that screaming. Well, you better hope you can play as long as me. Hey, when you get on your knees and say your prayers tonight, pray. What happened between you and Tlaib on the field early in the game? I don't know. You're going to ask him because he didn't finish the game. Ice up, son. Ice up. Live. In the entertainment capital of the world. It's the T.C. Martin Show. I know you're going to dig this. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. I wish I was 50 years younger and I'd kick your ass. The doctor is now in. Glad to have you with us. Middle of the work week, proverbial hump day on this Wednesday, right? T.C. Martin Show. Streaming live, of course, tcmartinshow.com, and of course, here locally in Vegas as well here at 1400. Glad to have you with us, and uh, we continue on covering the very sad and tragic situation here in Las Vegas regarding the automobile accident that occurred early yesterday morning with Henry Ruggs, the former wide receiver of the Las Vegas Raiders. We will talk more about that, give you some more detailed uh, updates regarding uh, everything has transpired since we last left the air here 24 hours ago. And again, that was a pretty fresh breaking story when we uh, were here yesterday uh, talking about the accident that occurred at 3.39 in the morning, yesterday morning. But uh, we had Heidi Fang on, if you remember, during this hour. And she was there at the jail. And she said, I, they're bringing somebody in right now. Uh it might be rugs. Well, it was. <laughs> they ended up booking him at uh, 2.11 p.m. So we'll go over the timeline. We'll go over all that with you uh, today, and we'll get uh, uh, plenty of uh, thoughts and updates on that. All right, T.J. Reeves is going to join us, our guy from Tampa Bay, the part of the broadcasting crew with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, as the Buccaneers coming off that loss on Sunday against the New Orleans Saints. So we'll go to Tampa Bay and talk to T.J. Reeves a little bit later on in this hour. Next hour, we talk about the Aaron Rodgers situation, what is happening with him. He has tested positive, so breaking news with that. Aaron Rodgers, the Green Bay Packers quarterback, tested positive for COVID-19. He will not play Sunday versus the Chiefs. Apparently, Aaron Rodgers, not vaccinated. Mm. Must be quarantined for a minimum of 10 days. Can't return until the earliest at November the 13th if he remains asymptomatic. But uh, Rodgers apparently had an alternate treatment prior to training camp, then petitioned the NFL for that treatment to allow him to be considered the same as someone who received one of the approved vaccinations. Uh, But after going back and forth with the NFL, they ruled that he would not get the same consideration of being a, a vaccinated player. Therefore, they considered him unvaccinated, Therefore, he has to follow the COVID protocols if you test positive, which he has, and that is a minimum of 10 days. So he is going to miss more than likely two games. So I got some serious thoughts about this. I mean, how does this happen? How does this happen? I'll tell you why. Because of leadership or lack thereof. And this goes back to Mark Murphy, the president of the Green Bay Packers, Brian Gutekunst, the general manager, and even head coach Matt LaFleur. This is your franchise quarterback. Remember, Green Bay's only had two of them going back for the last 25 years, Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. This is also the league MVP. 
So how does this happen? Simple. Non-communication with a guy, like you've heard me talk about time and time again, that is very aloof, that is uh, a guy that's going to march to the beat of his own drum and has, will do things what he want, how he wants to do it, when he wants to do it. And remember, just go back to what you had to live through if you're a Packer fan during the course of this past offseason. Aaron Rodgers threatening not to come back and play. Was very noncommittal when it came to that. So this is a guy who's going to do what he wants to do. This is a guy who just got done last weekend dressing up as John Wick for Halloween. John Wick! <laughs> I don't know. You know, the John Wick thing was cool. Those movies were all right. But it, it's, it's not one that I really need to see a part two and a part three of. Okay? I mean, it's not like the Equalizer. I mean, show me more of the Equalizer. I, I can't get enough of Denzel in the Equalizer nonstop. I mean, anybody working at Home Depot that, needs, that, that can work a, a nail gun like that, I mean, sign me up. I want more Denzel. Or how about that as your Lyft driver? Denzel. Equalizer 2, being that Lyft driver. You know what I'm talking about? Anyway, I digress. But that's quite okay. That's what we do here. But how does this happen where... You don't know that your quarterback, your star quarterback, the reigning NFL MVP is not vaccinated. Well, that's where it is. They knew. The Green Bay Packers, of course, knew that he was not vaccinated. And I'm sure the NFL knew he wasn't vaccinated and just said, hey, we're going to, you know, there are some non-vaccinated players. But this is one of the biggest stars in the league. Like I said, again, your MVP. What needs to happen in these situations is upper management needs to talk to your star player and say, listen, we need you. Especially when you got a guy who's never started a game behind you, Jordan Love. Not a meaningful game. You need to get with Aaron Rodgers and say, you know what? Get vaccinated. And you know all this nonsense about saying that you can't, you know, it's it's a person's own right, and that's okay. Bottom line is you work. For the team, the Green Bay Packers. You work for the National Football League. And the National Football League should just plain and simple say, players are getting vaccinated. You want to play? You want to? You want your check? You get vaccinated. But that's not that far out, okay? We can say this. Because look at what the Raiders have done with their fans. Look what UNLV's announcement was. With basketball yesterday. They said, you want to come to the games? You must be vaccinated. Many people applauding. Well done, UNLV. Great. The Raiders, well done. Do you hear anybody complaining? One thing you know, when you go to a game in Allegiant Stadium, or now when you go to the Thomas and Mack Center to, to go see UNLV, you're, you're safe because you're going to be around people that have that same card that you have. Okay? And people that aren't vaccinated, sorry, you can't go to the games. Plain and simple. And people, this has turned into a political thing now. It's it's political, why you don't want to get vaccinated or whatever. And for Aaron Rodgers, it could be that, who knows what. But knowing Aaron Rodgers a little bit like I do, this is just about him being difficult. You're not going to tell me what to do. Just like management, you're not going to tell me what to do. Oh, you're going to draft my successor in the first round two years ago? Oh, fine. Okay. Okay. Then I'll tell you. When I want to show up in training camp, if I'm going to show up in training camp, plain and simple. 
Then you back off a little bit and say, I love these guys. We're having a great season, huh? We lost lost one game this year. I'm not in two games. We're, we're good. We're all good. And now he gets COVID and has refused to get vaccinated. It just needs to come from the top that if you want to portray that we've got a safe league, then just mandate all of your players, all of your personnel, coaches, front office, execs, everybody, be vaccinated. Be on the same page. Pretty much that's what the WNBA has done. The NBA is close to that, but you still have some outliers out there, people that don't want to do it. And those are the guys that are going to have to go through different protocols. And eventually, if you do get COVID, they're going to cost your team. Aaron Rodgers right now, yeah, he's cost his team. they got a big game. Probably their biggest game of the season is coming up on Sunday against the Kansas City Chiefs. And he is not going to be available for his team that he claims he loves so much. So, yeah. Am I on Aaron Rodgers a little bit? Yeah. You know? Nobody likes getting shot up. But the bottom line is you're doing it for yourself, for your family, but you're also doing it for the people that you are around every day, your loved ones, your teammates, your coworkers. That's why you're getting vaccinated. Dr. Christina Madison is going to join us next hour as well, too. And we're going to get her thoughts on this because I want to talk to Christina and she's great about this, not just from a local perspective, but you know, she gets the sports angle and everything as well here too. Aaron Rodgers says that he was immunized going back to training camp and Rob Demosky, who I know very well worked with green Bay. He had worked for the green Bay press gazette for all those years. And then he got the job with, with ESPN. And Rob even said earlier today, he said, you know, When we asked Aaron Rodgers, were you vaccinated? Have you gotten vaccinated? He says, I was immunized. And even Rob says, you know what? We probably should have followed up on that. But because they don't want to upset Aaron Rodgers, they let it die. Okay, well, I guess that means he got vaccinated. Okay, move on to the next topic, next question, next subject. Now you're saying, what does that mean? So I want to ask Christina Madison today, what does Aaron Rodgers mean that he, got, he was immunized, that he took an alternate vaccine. Well, he went up to Canada. He took something else, somewhere else in a foreign country. What does that mean? And Aaron Rodgers isn't talking about it, so we're not going to know. But what we do know is, and Packer fans know, that he's not playing this week against the Kansas City Chiefs, a team that is really struggling. And this could be the get-back game that we always talk about with the Chiefs. They won, you know, um, on, on Monday night, but man, that was ugly. It, it, it was ugly the way they won. So we'll see what happens with the Chiefs taking on the Packers on Sunday without facing Aaron Rodgers. All right. Oh, and by the way, you got Jordan Love as your second string quarterback. You know, you know, you know how many quarterbacks the Packers have on their active roster right now? One. That's it. Jordan Love. That's all they got because their third string quarterback is Kurt Benkert. The third string quarterback, he's got COVID too. So Rodgers has it. Bankert's got it. He tested positive. So Jordan Love is the only quarterback of the Green Bay Packers roster right now. So the Packers have reached out to Blake Bortles. There will be another Blake Bortles sighting. And Bortles was actually with the Packers during training camp, if you remember. Then they released and let him go. So they expected to sign him today, and he is going to be available to play on Sunday if the Packers need him, and maybe into next week as well, too. But how's that? Blake Bortles, when he came in this league, 
with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Very good career at Central Florida. I mean, you thought this guy was going to have a, a long career, and now he's coming in as a backup to Jordan Love. All right? A middle-of-the-road Utah State Mountain West Conference quarterback back in the day who is really going to get his first taste of, of live fire here and uh, against the Kansas City Chiefs on Sunday. All right, so, yeah, we'll talk more about that with Dr. Christina Madison. So we've got that. And, of course, the World Series. Yes, we must talk about the World Series. Game six last night, it was all Atlanta. They beat the Astros 7-0 last night. Atlanta wins in six games. Yes, uh, kudos to the Braves. Congratulations to the Braves. They were the better team in this series. The matchup last night with Luis Garcia and Max Freed, it turned out to be one-sided. We talked to Steve Sachs. We talked to Chris Bozio, our two baseball guys. And, and Bozio said it. He said if Max Freed is going to go more to the breaking ball, he could have a good game. And, and he did. Uh, actually went away totally from his game plan You know, with more fastballs and the sliders that he did in game number two in Houston where he, he was shelled for six runs. He took care of business uh, yesterday, and, and he was great. He shut down the Astros' bats. And, yes, the Astros' bats were dormant. They were only alive in games two, you know, where they scored seven runs, and then they scored nine runs in game number five in Atlanta. And that was it. Yesterday, a lot of hope, a lot of anticipation. A lot, the Astros were a $1.35 favorite in this game. And a lot of people thought, okay, they're going to win game six. We're going to get to a game seven. It never materialized that way because... Not just because of Max Freed, but because of the bats. And we talked about how the offense was going to be the determining factor in the series. That's exactly what it was as Jorge Soler just fouled off pitch after pitch after pitch in the third inning against Luis Garcia on a 3-2 pitch. And Garcia gave him, gave him that curveball, and it went 446 feet. Not in the Crawford boxes, but on the Crawford Street. Yes, went on to Crawford Street. So they have Crawford Street blocked off during the games. Uh, so, you know, because they, like they have a DJ and they have bands and all that sort of thing. People were trying to run and get the ball that were outside of the stadium last night in Minute Maid Park. And they, they saw the ball, but they couldn't get to it because the police had Crawford Street blocked off. So anyway, uh, that was the ball game right there. That was 3 nothing at that point in time. Light hitting Dansby Swanson, hitting the bottom of the order, connecting on a two run shot to make it five nothing. That was it. That was done. You know, Freddie Freeman comes to the party. You know, it's seven nothing. There it is. All the Braves runs basically coming on homers, and that game was over last night in the third inning when Luis Garcia just hand delivered a beautiful pitch to Jorge Soler and gives Soler all the credit in the world. This guy has battled wherever he's been. He was with the Cubs. He was a young guy. He was a light-hitting guy. Some seasons couldn't hit over 220. Always had power, but he was a strikeout king. Cubs says, we're going to move on. Goes over to the Royals, and now has really found a home in Atlanta, and he's going to earn himself a nice little contract, a big contract as well, especially coming off of the MVP performance that he had in this World Series. But after Solaire's three-run shot onto Crawford Street, Ball game over last night. So kudos to the Braves. Happy for Brian Snicker. A guy who's been with the organization for 40-plus years. You know, a, a guy like Dusty Baker. Uh, you know, Brian Snicker is a quiet guy. 
you know, he's a guy that's doesn't, you know, get too hyped up when it's going good, never gets too low, and he managed himself a great World Series. So congratulations to the Braves. Uh, do I feel bad for Dusty Baker, my friend? Of course I do. Definitely do. Because he he he, he did a fantastic job, took a job basically that nobody wanted to have, and for the last two seasons, um, improved this team. And he said that last night in the post-game press conference, post-game interview, and that's exactly what the Astros did do because they were they were in a tailspin after after 2019. And even though they had a shortened season last year, they took the Rays to a Game 7, the ALCS, and then this year they get two two wins away from a World Series, had the home field advantage, had a great record, and uh, kudos for Dusty and those guys. And this Astros team is is going to look different. Brett Strom's not coming back, their pitching coach. More than likely, Carlos Correa, as much as he loves Houston, he loves his teammates, he loves the Astros organization, loves the city of Houston, more likely he's not going to um, come back uh, because – He's going to get offered a ton of money. And look at all the shortstops that are out there. They're going to command all kinds of money. It'll be interesting to see when free agency starts, um, you know, who's going to get the money and who's going to sign first. And could Carlos Correa be that $350 million guy, $400 million guy? We'll see. I would love to see him back in Houston. Love to see Dusty back in Houston. But we don't know if that's going to happen because he's operating without a contract right now. So it'll be interesting to see what the Houston Astros do. But World Series done. Baseball talk over for the most part today. And uh, the Astros lose to the Braves. 7 nothing. Anticlimactic game last night. But champagne flowing in the visitors' uh, locker room in the clubhouse last night for the Atlanta Braves. All right. Henry Ruggs, we've got some audio to play for you for that as well, too. Let's get you an update on that situation. Very tragic day, as we talked about yesterday, began when Ruggs and his girlfriend were at Top Golf, obviously drinking too much, got into his car, speeding down Rainbow Boulevard, approximately 3.30 in the morning, got involved in a crash, was on Rainbow near Spring Valley when the crash happened, when his Corvette rear-ended into a Toyota RAV4. The RAV4 burst into flames. The driver was dead immediately when police were called on the scene. Uh, There were some witnesses that said that they heard the woman screaming. She was 23 years old. She had a dog in her car. Neither her nor the dog uh, survived this uh, horrifying accident. Ruggs and his girlfriend were seen uh, very distraught, yelling, screaming, and crying on the side of the road. Uh, police said that he was inebriated. He was taken to UMC for non-life-threatening injuries. At 2.11 yesterday afternoon when we talked about it, he was taken to the Clark County Detention Center and booked into custody. At about 7 p.m., the Raiders officially released him. Henry Ruggs not a member of the Raiders anymore as of 7 o'clock last night. So here's what we know today. As this story, as we you know, is continues to develop and unfold here, all right. Rugs was traveling at a hundred and fifty-six miles per hour. That's right, a hundred and fifty-six miles per hour going down Rainbow Boulevard. 
at the time of the impact, I believe he was going about 127 miles per hour when the airbags deployed. Uh, Judge uh, Joe Bonaventure said he cannot recall a speed that high in his entire career on the bench. 156 miles an hour. We all know Rainbow. We've all traveled Rainbow. 156, which means more than likely that this poor girl in the RAV4 was probably stopped at a stoplight. And then the Corvette, being smaller, went underneath, immediately made the RAV4 burst into flames. And this poor girl and her dog never had a chance. They were killed instantly. The RAV4, after she was hit, the victim's vehicle traveled 571 feet after Ruggs's car crashed into it. And his Corvette traveled 519 feet post-impact. Wow. Just think about that. More to the story. The blood was drawn from Henry Ruggs within two hours of the accident at the time that the accident happened. And the blood alcohol level was 0.161. That's more than twice the legal limit. Also, he was in possession of a firearm. Loaded firearm in his car. You go to Top Golf, have some drinks, be there with your girlfriend. Stay out way too late. Driving like a madman down Rainbow Boulevard with a loaded gun in your car. Seemed like no cares in the world. And people say, and I heard a lot of people, you know, come out and 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 talk, you know, whether it's law enforcement or attorneys and just general people saying, why didn't he get an Uber? Why didn't he get a Lyft? Because these are athletes. And a guy like Henry Ruggs, they don't think about lifts. They don't think about that. He drives a Corvette. In his mind, he's untouchable. He's wearing the bling. He's in his early 20s. He's got a multi-million dollar contract. He was a first-round pick with the Raiders, 12th overall. He thinks he can do whatever he wants. And I'm not trying to get into Henry Ruggs' mind, speaking for him. I'm just generalizing and saying, this is how athletes think. They're not thinking like we're thinking. Hey, I'm drunk. Somebody talked me into getting a Lyft, an Uber, something like that. No, I got a Corvette outside. I, I, I'm fine. I'm fine. And again, if you really are concerned, then you'll drive at the speed limit and be extremely careful. Not like, hey, look at me. Look at my Corvette. I'm going 156, baby. Let's go. Pump up the jams and let's go. No. You caused a death by being drunk out of your mind, being inebriated, not making the right decision, and now, if you're Henry Ruggs, you're going to have to pay for this for the rest of your life. And his girlfriend, the mother of his child as well, too. She's behind bars here. Well, actually, she's not behind bars. But actually, there is nothing they can really do legally uh, with her because she was just a passenger. So I retract that part of it. So the Raiders made their release yesterday. The Raiders said they were aware of the accident involving Henry Ruggs that occurred yesterday morning in Las Vegas. They wanted to see how this thing played out. They didn't wait too long because 
Later last night, the Raiders statement read this. The Raiders have released Henry Ruggs. That was it. Plain, simple, to the point. They were done. And remember, this accident comes nearly a year after Josh Jacobs got a DUI crashing his car into the tunnel of the wall at McCarran Airport after the Raiders had just returned from Denver from, from their flight from their game. And Jacobs got behind a wheel because he was drinking on the plane and his blood alcohol level was not quite that. So he didn't do any time, even though he, he was taken into custody, if you remember. I believe his blood alcohol level was uh, 0.08, right around there. That, it, was, it was somewhere around there. So just slightly above the legal limit. So he was cited, didn't have to do uh, any time. But again, this Raiders organization has really gone through some tough times here for all off-the-field stuff. And this team is playing good football right now. They're playing good football. But to have to endure that situation last year with one of your star players, your star running back, and now your star wide receiver is done completely. And his life is going to be completely changed. He'll be doing prison time for a long, long time. Remember, this offense is punishable anywhere from 2 to 20 years. And we've seen... Things happen here in Clark County like this. The more high profile you are, the less leniency they really have for you. And we've seen that in in several cases here. So we'll continue to follow the story, uh, continue to talk to people. Uh, Our crew that is out on the the scene, we talked to Heidi Fang yesterday. Uh, They are all at Raiders headquarters right now because right now the Raiders are holding uh, their press conference as we speak right now at their facility in Henderson. So Derek Carr is taking the podium. Rich Pisaccia taking the podium. This is the first time we've heard from them in nearly two weeks because, remember, the Raiders had a bye week, and uh, all the players were off, and they were not uh, expected to report, didn't have to report, back to practice today to get ready for the game Sunday against the Giants in New Jersey. So Ruggs, uh, we don't know where he was during the course of the majority of the bye week. If he hung around town, a lot of players... We'll go on trips, they'll vacation, they'll go back home to see family. Uh, but Ruggs was in town at Top Golf late night, Monday night, early Tuesday morning, and uh, and then now finds himself, uh, you know, booked in jail. I believe was released today as well too. And that's another uh, big thing that people are saying. Well, why should this guy be released? He made bail. Why shouldn't he just still be behind bars? So, yeah, a lot of different elements to it. So, like I said, uh, so as we do in the show now, we will have, uh, we'll, we'll have definitely have that audio for you for tomorrow's show, maybe even later on, Rich Passaccia talking, and then Derek Carr, the face now and the leader of this Raiders team. Uh, they are speaking uh, not only about this situation, uh, but also uh, about the, the game coming up this week. And we don't know if we're going to hear from Mike Mayock. Maybe Mark Davis will also speak today as well, too. Uh, being the the head of this organization. Obviously, Mark Davis is the one that made this decision to release Henry Ruggs immediately, just like he decided to release John Gruden immediately after the email scandal. So you go back to July with this Raiders organization. Mark Bedane suddenly resigns for no apparent reason. We now find out that the president of the Raiders, Mark Bedane at that point in time, he, uh, according to Mark Davis, who just came out and said last week, he said, there were uh, financial irregularities 
that was why Mark Bedane was let go. But at the point in time, we didn't know. Then you have the John Gruden situation, the email scandal, you know, for his comments that he made going back three weeks ago, and now you have to deal with Henry Ruggs. So the Raiders organization really going through some tough times right now. And some people, but you don't even know where, how these players are going to feel right now. I mean, knowing what Henry Ruggs did and with him not being there, I mean, they got to start thinking about moving forward and playing the football. And maybe if any team could do it, maybe the Raiders can because having to lose the face of your franchise, the $10 million a year coach in John Gruden, and knowing what he said and you know what his emails contained, I mean, we know that there were players that uh, Carl Nassim needed to take some time off, needed to take a day or two off because he didn't appreciate what Gruden's email was, being the first openly gay player in the National Football League coming out who played for John Gruden, plays for the Raiders. So you don't know how these players are going to be here in the next couple days as they get ready to play football. So there we go. All right, so when we come back, we'll talk to T.J. Reeves. We'll start talking about the rest of the National Football League. We'll continue to keep an eye on developments with the Henry Ruggs situation and uh, what the Raiders are saying uh, as well, too. But this is a Wednesday. We talk a little Tampa Bay Buccaneers football, the NFL. Next hour, we talk uh, a little bit more about the Aaron Rodgers situation. Hang with us here on this Wednesday, T.C. Martin Show. Now, back to more of Las Vegas' favorite sports madman, the Dr. T.C. Martin. Don't forget, come join us Friday at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. Oh, yeah. Best bet segment, of course, on fire. Continue on with that. Come on out. Check out the show live from 2 to 4 p.m. And also take advantage of the promo. That's right. $53 in your account. Mm-hmm. That's right. Use that promo code TC50. Open a brand new William Hill account. Deposit at least $50 in your new account. They'll match it with an additional $50. Use the promo code TC50 at any of the William Hill Sportsbook properties. And, of course, the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. See the show live each and every Friday. All right, a man who has joined us at the Cosmopolitan when he has visited. He rarely visits. I mean, can rarely make make the move. Uh, getting out of the house there in, in Florida to come to beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada. But he's on the road just about every weekend, if not with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or broadcasting college football as well. This is TJ Reeves, our Buck sideline reporter. What is happening, my man? Always good to be with my initials brother from another mother. Uh, yes, that does seem like it was a little while ago that we were out there in the summer. I do need to be part of a yes. football Friday at some point at the Cosmopolitan because it's a happening thing. And here's the thing, though. You know, you are asking me every week to just drop everything. All right? It doesn't matter if I'm in Houston or if I'm on, on the road, <laughs> Phoenix. It doesn't matter. Drop everything. Just drop it. Hey, I need your winners. I need the, the Three Dog Thursday podcast. That's I need correct. you. You know what, TJ Reeves? Well, you need to come. Hold on. St- stand mistake. by. You, yeah. you need to come to, to the Cosmopolitan so you can participate in our best bets. I understand. The okay. best bets. The best bets is well known. But you have already demonstrated you don't need me because you're rolling. <laughs> Your mistake you made is that you started hitting every NFL game second week, third week. I'm asking you for one NFL doggy, and they're not just covering. They're winning outright. And so now you have a following. 
Now you have legions of people <laughs> that are interested in the T.C. Martin underdog on Three Dog Thursday to the point that you've now hit seven of eight including from in line last week trying to get your tickets to game two of the World Series, you're like, I'm not going to be denied. I, I, am, I am simply going to make this pick even from the line trying to get your tickets. And you took those New Orleans Saints against my Tampa Bay Buccaneers and another outright winner for the doctor. So that's seven out of eight weeks. So if you didn't want to keep coming on the show, you should have uh, sandbagged like earlier in the season. But now that you've been winning, there's an expectation, brother, of you presenting underdogs every week on this show, at least one on the, uh, on the roll call. And, in fact, you've done so well, I want to roll the red carpet out and have TC be the handicapper of the week. I'm expecting not one, not two, but three underdogs from you on this week's show. We'll get that done. We'll get that up. And, again, the man's on a roll. I'm promoting hey, the way. The man is on a roll with making these picks. That sounds like a lot of pressure right now. A lot, a lot of pressure putting on me. Yeah, that's right. You know, seven out of eight. Uh, and I'm going to talk about the, the the eighth one that I had. I lost in overtime. I could have got a field goal, but no. It was the Dallas Cowboys had to score a touchdown in overtime in that right. game a couple weeks ago. And I do believe TJ that six out of those seven winners were winners outright. I mean, you're right. That's unheard of. Winners outright. You are rolling, my friend. You are rolling. <laughs> and again, you're public is behind you. We need you on Three Dog Thursday. You are very much wanted between that and the best bets. I don't know how you make time for anybody else. I don't I know. know how it happens. I, I just need to have you talk to my agent. Okay, that's it. I'm, I'm flirting. <laughs> You're going to the agent for now on. I mean, what am I doing? What am I coming on, on there? I, I need to be getting paid here. Listen, Plain and simple. Listen. There it is. If, if not that, in some food or some food for Mrs. Reeves. How's that? You off the air? How many times have I advised you off the air? you got to stop negotiating with Numchuck doing your deals for you. Because then you end up doing this for, like, ketchup and mustard instead of what you should. So no, Numchuck <laughs> is no longer part of brokering the T.C. Martin appearances and deals. You got that there, Numchuck? There it is. Breaking news. Numchuck is fired. You're fired. He's gone. He's leaving the building. Wait a minute. i got no one else to do the show now. Look, we, we should have fired him at 4 o'clock. That's what we should have did. <laughs> Numchuck, come back. We have much love for Numchuck. He just doesn't need to be negotiating for you because you'll end up with like Wait. a hot ham and cheese. Hold on, hold on. There's a hot busser girl that just walked out of the, the Mexican restaurant. She could do the job in Numchuck Good. There she is. There we go. Come on in here, sweetness. There we go. And bring the tacos with you. I don't know if I want those tacos. Wait a minute. All right. TJ Reeves, my friend, you are at. The we got to call it now what the Caesars Superdome. The Caesars Superdome. Oh that's correct. We got to okay. Thank you. Okay, so you were there. Yes, I called Saints Hour, and you know I was in a bind last week because you were catching me while I was going to pick up tickets, my credential, all that stuff, and I said, okay, we're going to have to do this in line. And I said, you know what? I'm going to pick the game where T.J. Reeves is going to be at, just to throw a little fire on top of him as well, too, to get you going. <laughs> and I know. I know that you were rooting against me, my friend, and I know when I made that pick, I know you were kind of like, yeah, right, the streak is over now. And TJ, I felt so good about that game, not really because a famous Jameis Crableg Winston, and, and, and the bottom line is, feel bad that he did get injured, and then Trevor Simeon had came in the pride of Northwestern, and I wasn't feeling good at that point in time, but the reason why I made that play were two reasons. One is, yes, I wanted to, because you were going to be there. So I said, oh, we'll have some fun with this because we love having yep. fun on the air. But I did that because of the defense of the Saints. And I knew the Saints were going to show up big. And I know it was Tom Brady, but the Saints, 
they were the reason they won that football game. I want to know what your eyes saw as you were broadcasting that game on Sunday. All right, so I saw several things. The first thing is I was right there at field level about 20 feet away from when Devin White grabbed Jameis Winston. And and I know a lot is being made of the play because there was a flag on the play. But I've seen the replays. I was standing right there. He was grabbing him from the side, grabbing Jameis Winston's left sleeve and the side of his jersey. And when Winston turned his body, that's when he also grabbed him from behind. It's a bang-bang play. But the the larger point here is that Jameis Winston had begun to run much more, much more than he had in Tampa Bay uh, over the course of the last three or four weeks. I believe in part because the order from the top guy in the Saints hierarchy on the offense and as the head coach was, we're not going to throw interceptions. You can take a sack, you can throw it away, you can take off and run, but we're not going to throw interceptions. And Jameis early in that game ran for a first down a couple of times, taking off and running. He went to run that time. Devin White grabbed him, and it's a horrible injury. And he's out, and he's out for a long time because it's not just a torn ACL. My understanding is he tore a couple of knee ligaments uh, besides the ACL and is going to have to have uh, probably 9 to 12 months of rehab. It'll be the middle of next year at the earliest, if not next fall, before he's able to get back and play. So that that's the first observation. It was very loud, very loud. I remember, they had no fans basically anywhere in a lot of these games, but the Superdome was as loud as I can ever remember it. They were jacked for Tom Brady being in there and being at full 70,000 capacity. And the next thing is you've got, you've got to give the Saints credit. They hung in there with Trevor Simeon. They dink and dunk and get the ball to Kamara, et cetera. But still, leading 23-7, to the Buccaneers are just filthy with the weapons. And Brady brought them back into the lead, throwing not one, not two, but three touchdowns on that Saints defense that you're harping about. Uh, they get the credit for making the final play on the interception. And, uh, and, and you love these stories. When P.J. Williams picked that ball off and ran down the sideline, he's running right by me into the end zone. And I'm going, well, there goes the postgame show. So much for, <laughs> It's like the immediate thought is so much for the victorious postgame show because the Saints have now clinched the game. So it was a wild day in the Superdome, to say the least. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the atmosphere because that was one of the things we talked about last week, too, on your podcast was that, you know, this this was the second, only the second home game the Saints have had in that building. Remember the first one against Correct. the Packers was in Jacksonville. So I knew that that place was going to be amped up. So I wanted to ask you, because it's been two plus years, and it's still new to a lot of these fans that were at the game on Sunday. I mean, d- did it give you that vibe that, that you saw two and three years ago? Yes, and they were into it. And the first thing is they traded for Mark Ingram and brought him back. So they do this thing right before the kickoff where they have a celebrity or somebody do the who-dat thing, where they, where they, they play the gong, they play the big music, and then whoever it is does the signal kind of like a sledgehammer to the ground, and everybody goes, who-dat, 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 going to beat them Saints. And he did it. Mark Ingram came out on the field. They showed him on the video boards. And he's the one that did it. And I'm like, okay. Wow. So the crowd is in the game from the very beginning. They were loud. It was affecting the Bucks some uh, with trying to communicate. Uh, and, again, give the Saints credit. They made the plays that they had to make, especially in the red zone, getting touchdowns. I will say this. There's been a lot of discussion about what Sean Payton was doing at the end of that game in field goal range for the win. The Buccaneers are down to just two timeouts remaining, and he's got a chance to have them burn both of their timeouts on first and goal or first down at like the 10 or 12-yard line. 
and they throw the ball twice and stop the clock incomplete twice where you're giving Tom Brady the chance to have at least a minute on the clock or thereabouts to and a timeout to go down and get the winning field goal, that was catastrophic clock management that they got away with because of the interception. Because if Brady goes on to lead, if, 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 if he leads them down the field and they kick a field goal with all the time the Saints gave them, then the first questions of Sean Payton would have been, what were you doing at the end of the game, stopping the clock on your own and saving Tampa Bay time and timeouts? So he escaped that. They won the game. Stay tuned for the rematch in Tampa in December on Sunday Night Football, my friend. I was thinking that exact same thing as I was watching that happen. I'm sorry. Are yeah. you kidding me? You didn't even use 30 seconds off the clock. You're going to give Brady this much time? No, r- ridiculous. And, uh, you know, again, Brady 28 for 40, 375 yards. Actually had four touchdowns. Had the two interceptions there. But uh, it was, yeah, I mean, the, the interception, that was uh, – that was big by the Saints defense. And uh, give some kudos you know, to the Saints defense. I mean, they again, they got to Brady in the first half, but like you said, Brady came back and it seemed like, okay, he's going to will them to victory like he did again, but when they needed it the most. Is that interception more on, on Brady or is it kudos to the Saints' uh, you know, secondary or the Saints' defensive coaching staff? I think you credit the Saints and they fooled him. What they were doing a lot of this game is they were jumping guys off their receiver, taking risks to try to make plays. And they got the interception in the first half the same way. Now, earlier in the fourth quarter, they were trying that. And that's where Siddle Grayson, a little-known wide receiver, not Mike Evans, not Chris Godwin, not Gronk, not O.J. Howard, Cyril Grayson sneaks, but not Antonio Brown, who was injured. That's why Cyril Grayson was out there. He sneaks behind him because two of the Saints guys that were supposed to stay with him jumped off of him thinking Brady's going to throw the ball to Mike Evans or to Chris Godwin, and he was alone. He was quarantined in the Superdome, social distancing, down at the 15-yard line and walked in the end zone on that easy touchdown. So they took some risk. It clearly paid off. But this is something that Brady and Byron Leftwich, the offensive coordinator, and Bruce Arians will learn from, that, hey, okay, chess match, if they're trying to disguise what they're really doing and have guys jump off of, of the receiver they're covering and jump into an area where they're supposed to, not supposed to be, then be a half step ahead of that. And when you start to see somebody move, use the pump fake or something and then throw it to the guy that's now open because his defender's taking a risk for a pick. So it's a little back and forth, a little back and forth for the rematch later in the year. All right, T.J. Reeves joins us, Bucks uh, sideline reporter, talking about the Bucks losing their second game of the season to the Saints on Sunday, 36-27, the final there. Uh, real quick, I want to talk about Jameis Winston because any time that we see, no matter who it is, a player go with that type of injury, and it was unfortunate, it was ugly, and really this has become his team this year for the first time. And he was doing very, very well. He already had lost Taysom Hill. And then now Trevor Simeon gets thrown in the mix. So, yeah, the Saints going forward, that's going to be a big question mark. And I know you don't feel sorry for them, but Saints fans <laughs> really, really feel bad. But here's what I want to ask you. You've been with the Bucks a, a long time. And obviously you were there when the Bucks drafted Jameis Winston in, in the first round there. What are your thoughts about Winston as you see him now? And I want you to go back. What kind of guy was he to cover? And, you know, we talk about, you know, these first round picks, and, you know, Winston had his off the field issues as well, too. Your observation and your interactions with, with Winston when he was with the Bucks. So, 
I can't say enough about him off the air, him dealing with me. Sincerely, he is fantastic even after losses, and unfortunately it was far more losing than winning in Tampa Bay. Can't say enough good things about Jameis, the person and the things he was doing in the community. Uh, by the same token, uh, I, I am along with a lot of other people of the same belief. They were never going to be able to do things, do damage in the playoffs, be able to win because he could not stop throwing interceptions. And basically when Bruce Arians and Byron Leftwich showed up two years ago and the interceptions continued and continued and continued, it became apparent. It was confirmed. This is never going to change if he has to be the guy to consistently throw the ball down the field. And what Sean Payton has now done is in the, in the small sample size of the first six games of the season plus a quarter in the game on Sunday is – he reduced the risk. He turned it into low-risk stuff. Throw the ball short. Throw the ball to Alvin Kamara. Throw the ball 10 yards. Throw the ball 7 yards. Don't take very many 5- or 7-step drops. Not that often. Don't throw into coverage. And it made Jameis more effective in that regard. Or as I said to you earlier in the conversation, take a sack, take off and run and try to get 2 yards. Just don't take risks throwing interceptions. And so that had been effective for them to this point. It is at this point an incomplete grade as to whether or not they were ever going to win long term or successfully with that without team because teams figure out how you're playing and if you don't adjust and you're not going to throw the ball down the field it's going to get even tougher to get yards and to get points so I agree with you the Saints have got issues now because Taysom Hill's a concussion question mark and he's had concussions before Jameis out for the year and and are they going to be able with Trevor Simeon to do the things that they need to do to try to throw the ball down the field and make things happen. And I know you probably, I don't know if you mentioned it, you probably saw this, Michael Thomas announced today their outstanding receiver, I'm not coming back. After the ankle surgery, he's had a setback. He's not playing at all the rest of this year. So I don't know how high-powered the Saints can be moving forward here. I just know they were winning a certain way with low-risk stuff with Jameis Winston. It was working early on in the year. I don't know that it can sustain. All right. We uh, talked about you covering the college uh, as well, too, with Compass Media. You had a big game on Saturday. Alabama and LSU, you're going to be in Tuscaloosa calling that game. You and Tiki Barber, you guys do a fantastic job there on the the radio side. TJ, when was the last time we have ever, well, we probably never have, I don't know, seen an Alabama-LSU game where the spread is 28.5 in favor of Alabama? (laughs) This is insane. Okay. So I thought the same thing, but we do have breaking news, Dumb Chuck. We oh, have breaking we, news. Oh, there he's directing the I show again from Tampa. I did not realize this. They were a 29-point favorite last year in Baton Rouge because they were rolling, and it was at the end of the year. It was the first week in December, and they covered the line, Alabama, with Mac Jones and with Najee Harris and with – and with Devontae yeah. Smith. 55-17 to 17 that game. You're right, 55-17. Right, yeah. They covered it with a uh, with uh, a little room to spare there. Yeah. So I was shocked. I thought never was the answer, that the spread had been that big. But how about this? That was the first time that a defending national champion had been as much as a 22-point underdog, much less a 28- or 29-point underdog, 22-point underdog since going back to Auburn in the 2011 season post-Cam Newton when Gene Chizik was awful and they ended up getting fired. Uh, Auburn was a 21-point underdog to Alabama in the Iron Bowl. So it had been some 10 years since the defending national champion had been that big of an underdog. So now we roll around again to this year, and you look at that line, 
And to me, I think that's too large. But then I look at the reference point of last year, and I look at Alabama being at home, and maybe and maybe this is going to be a route for the Crimson Tide. I just don't know what kind of LSU team that we're going to get. They're both off a of bye week. LSU got rolled by Ole Miss in their last game. It looked like in the second half they weren't trying that hard. Are they going to try hard, TC? I don't know what you think. But this matchup, it could get ugly early in Tuscaloosa. Saturday. You know, it's really hard to fathom again when Ed Ogeron said he's gone, and it looked like they they were playing hard. I mean, they beat Florida. I mean, they gave up yep. a ton of points. You know, two weeks ago they won forty nine forty two. But you're right against Ole Miss as the game progressed, it was ugly. And then now you're going to be on the road in Tuscaloosa against that machine that Alabama has. But the thing that tells me you could might be able to keep this game close is because Alabama's defense is not that same Alabama defense that we've seen in the past. I, agree. I believe like, I agree. like 46 in the country. So it's going to be interesting. It's Unfortunately, when you have Alabama-LSU, you think, wow, this is going to be one of these marquee games, and it's it's really not. It's almost kind of a, a second-tier game uh, that, we're, that we're seeing this week. But uh, hey, it's – as far as you know, your position, being able to call a game like that with those two incredible programs and those fan bases, it'll be exciting for you, no doubt. Well, and, and let's hope, uh, I hope this is the case, that LSU comes to play and hangs in in the first half, and they may very well. They've got tremendous talent, at least on the defensive side of the ball, to be able to hang in. Uh, then again, Alabama may put it on them. I had the old Miss game with our buddy Steve Berline, our mutual buddy Berline, and I worked our first game, uh, Alabama Ole Miss, back about a month ago, and we thought that was going to be a close game, and it's 28 nothing at halftime. Alabama just whacked them, stopped them on defense, ran on them, threw on them, did whatever, and blew them out. So let's, let's see if LSU can keep that from happening at least a half. I think most believe Alabama will eventually pull away. I mean, look at the Tennessee game just real quick. I know you got to go. The Tennessee game's a back-and-forth game where they give up some big plays, but they scored the last 21 points of the game and covered the line in Tuscaloosa. Now they're back two weeks later off the bye week. I would not be going against the tie being able to pull away in the second half. Hopefully we get a good game for the, at least the first half. There he is. All right, TJ Reeves will be on the radio call. If you're driving around, you can pick him up there, Alabama LSU, 4 o'clock on Saturday. Okay, my friend, plug away. Uh, Buccaneers got a buy, so I, that's yeah. a little rest for you. Uh, plug away everything that you got going. Well, you're doing a fantastic job. I've got the game with Tiki Saturday, Compass Media Network's Bama LSU. Three Dogs Thursday is the podcast. And the doctor is on the podcast dispensing more underdog knowledge, not just a game on the no huddle. We're going to have him for a full 10, 12 minutes. Heck, he might go 15, 17 minutes unless he's got a buffet waiting on him or whatever the case is. You're going to dispense some underdogs with me on that podcast. It's out wherever you get podcasts on Thursday, hence the name, Three Dog Thursday. But it stays relevant for the weekend with college and the NFL and the picks. So I look forward to having you on, and I always love being on with you in the desert, brother. There it is. All right, fight week as well, too. We'll be talking some boxing as well for the rest of this week. Yeah. And then also on with you with your big fight weekend, you and Marquise Johns as well, too. So looking forward to that as we have Canelo we Alvarez and Caleb Plant. We can't get enough of Plant. the doctor. We love the doctor. we got to have you on. Appreciate you, brother. All right, be good. Eat well tonight, and we'll talk to you very, very soon. Yes, sir. Be well. All right, there he is, uh, TJ Reeves. Uh, Bucks broadcaster, also doing the college side, and he's got a couple great podcasts to tune in. And like I said, you'll hear me on there with the Three Dog Thursday podcast where you get your podcast. Also, Big Fight Weekend as well, too. We'll be talking about that this week, and those uh, podcasts will be coming out 
tomorrow. When we come back, we'll talk more NFL. Dr. Christina Madison will join us uh, as well. We talk about Aaron Rodgers, the Packers situation, that, and there's some rumblings going on in Cleveland as well, too. We'll hit that T.C. Martin Show on this Wild Wednesday. Entertainment capital of the world. Rogers in trouble. Does he have a vintage moment in it? In the end zone, it is caught for the win. Richard Rogers with a walk-off touchdown. It's the T.C. Martin Show. Play action, awesome time. Deep shot for Parker. to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. Oh, my goodness, the legend just goes on. The doctor is now in. How you like me now? Hour number two on this Wednesday. Glad to have you with us. T.C. Martin Show streaming live, 2 to 4 p.m. Of course, tcmartinshow.com. You can check out all of the latest. Our interview with uh, Steve Sachs is up on the board up there as well, too. Chris Bazio is up there. And, of course, the latest regarding the Henry Rugg situation. Uh, all that information that we're talking about today uh, is part of our article and our blog on the homepage at tcmartinshow.com. Don't forget, Friday at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas, our Friday home, Jay Schrader is going to join us, the quarterback. That's right. The guy with the big hands, the big arm. And maybe we'll get him to throw some T-shirts out to the crowd of the Cosmopolitan. Because last time Jay was on with me, if you remember, doing the Aces playoff game, he came over and was firing T-shirts into the upper deck there at the Mandalay Bay. You got to love that. So, yeah, Jay Schrader, love having Jay on. He will participate in the Best Bet segment where we give our three best college plays, three best pro plays for the weekend so he will join us on Friday, Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas, inside the sportsbook, powered by William Hill. Marco D'Angelo will also join us on Friday. And you know what? This weekend is, Numchuck. You know what it is? It's Del Mar, baby. It is the Breeders' Cup. That's right. So Double B, Brian Benowitz, will be at Del Mar. Well, there's Double B right now. There he is. Look at him. He's on that horse. I know Double B rides a horse. I thought he just owned him. Very nice. Yeah, so Double B will not be at the Cosmopolitan. The G-Man will be back, though. Yeah, thank goodness the G-Man's back. That means I don't have to look at you at the Cosmopolitan. Yeah. You know, it's just like when you have an injury down, like with a pitching staff or something. You got It's kind of like with the Packers. You know, Aaron Rodgers is out. Then we got to go to the second string, the third string guy. You know, we had to do that last week. So, yes, the team back in tack. That's good. Even though Double B will not be there, so that's okay. So Marco D'Angelo will be joining us. Trevor Maddich, of course, will be joining us for our Best Bet segment. And then Jay Schrader in the house as well, too. Hmm. All right. <laughs> You're showing me pictures of people that will not be in attendance but need to be in attendance. Numchuck, always always with, with the fine female photo pics there. Is that, is that what you got going? <laughs> that's... How can I do a radio show when you're doing this to me, huh? Are you kidding me? Perfectly fine. All right, where are we going with this there? All right, uh, we're going to talk Aaron Rodgers. 
uh, coming up. Dr. Christina Madison will be joining us here at the bottom of the hour. So stay tuned uh, for that. All right, again, updating the Henry Ruggs situation. Very tragic day uh, yesterday, and we we covered it yesterday. Heidi Fang joined us live from the uh, Clark County Detention Center yesterday while Henry Ruggs was being booked. But just a quick recap because we've got some audio that we were going to play uh, from earlier today from the district attorney, Steve Wolfson, uh, addressed a myriad of issues regarding the Henry Ruggs situation. So, again, the day began yesterday when Ruggs and his girlfriend uh, were at Top Golf late into the evening, late on Monday night, uh, was drinking way too much, got in the car, speeding down Rainbow Boulevard approximately 3.30 in the morning. Uh, the crash occurred on Rainbow near Spring Valley, near that intersection. Uh, his car, he was driving the Chevy Corvette, rear-ended into a Toyota RAV4, uh, driven by a 23-year-old woman. She had her dog in the car as well. The RAV4 burst into flames. The driver was dead immediately upon impact. Uh, Ruggs and his girlfriend were seen uh, at the scene after the crash, distraught, yelling, screaming, crying on the side of the road. Uh, police said that he was inebriated. He was taken to UMC for non-life-threatening injuries. And then uh, later in the afternoon, during our show yesterday, at approximately uh, 2 o'clock, he was taken into the Clark County Detention Center. He was booked into custody. And then about 7 p.m. last night, the Raiders officially released Henry Ruggs, so no longer a member of the Raiders. His stuff was cleared out of his locker, and he was done. Uh, Mark Davis not showing any patience here, which he shouldn't in this case. Here's a guy that you drafted, him and Mike Mayock, John Gruden at the time. They drafted him number one first round, actually the, the 12th overall pick. And, uh, yeah, he's going to be a loss on the field. But you cannot have a guy who basically has is, is killed a person on your team. And, of course, Henry Ruggs, who is out of jail right now, he was booked, he was released, and there are many people saying, why is this guy still not behind bars? He killed an innocent woman with his vehicle. Uh, so here's what we know as of today. Ruggs's car, his Corvette, was traveling 156 miles per hour. Upon impact, when the airbags were deployed, he was registered at going 127 miles per hour. Judge Joe Bonaventure said he cannot recall a speed that high in his entire career on the bench. Rainbow Boulevard, 156 miles per hour. Uh, blood was drawn from rugs within two hours of the accident. He registered .161, more than twice the legal limit. He was also in possession of a loaded firearm. Uh, Ruggs refused to do a sobriety test on the scene, but then eventually they they took his blood alcohol level, and like we said, more than double the legal limit at .161. Uh, the Raiders made two releases yesterday, one earlier in the day that we talked about on yesterday's show where they were aware of the accident uh, involving Henry Ruggs. Um, their thoughts and prayers went out to the victim's family. They were in the process of gathering information and did not have any further comment at that time. Uh, about five, six hours after that, approximately around 7 p.m. last night, the Raiders issued another statement 
one sentence saying the Raiders have released Henry Ruggs III. That was it. So no commentary from the Raiders at all until today. And as we speak now, they're having their press conference that is not only talking about the Henry Ruggs situation, but their regular press conference that uh, usually uh, the head coach or the interim coach in this matter, Rich Basaccia, uh, addresses the media as well as Derek Carr. So they're both talking today. That is still going on. So uh, our crew that uh, is usually uh, you know with us, Heidi Fang, Sam Gordon, company, Brian Salmon, they're all there at the press conference. So obviously unable to join us uh, you know today for uh, to give their thoughts. But we will have the sound from that press conference for tomorrow's show. Remember, this accident also comes nearly a year later when Josh Jacobs got a DUI when he crashed his car into the tunnel wall at McCarran Airport after the Raiders returned home from their road trip uh, from Denver. And uh, he was drunk, not at that level, but he was right at the legal limit. And uh, he did not serve any time, but he was arrested, taken into custody. Uh, Josh Jacobs placed on probation, I believe, after that as well, too. But uh, Henry Ruggs um, basically finds his life in disarray at this point in time right now. And uh, after causing that crash, and again, just really the choices that people make in life, you have to question. But you're young. You think that you are untouchable. And people are out there saying, well, why not take an Uber? Why not take a Lyft? These guys don't think that way. They just don't think that way at all. When you feel that, you know, you got millions of dollars, you're a first-round pick, you're a star member of an NFL football team, you've got your car, you're going to drive home from Top Golf and wherever else he stopped after that. He was at Top Golf with, with his girlfriend. And obviously they were drinking. And then next thing you know, they're driving 156 miles per hour at 3.30 in the morning and causing a death of an innocent, innocent victim. All right. The district attorney spoke today, Steve Wolfson, and he addressed a, a number of different issues. And uh, we are going to play that sound for you from Steve Wolfson. Uh, he first started talking about the choices and then the consequences that Henry Ruggs made on this uh, fateful morning. You know, life is about choices. Mr. Ruggs made a choice. And the difficulty I have is there's so many alternatives. There's ride sharing. There's a designated driver. There's a taxi. There's so many alternatives. But Mr. Ruggs made a choice. And he's going to have to live with the consequences. Okay. He's also uh, addressed that, um, you know, they're looking at the police report. And Ruggs's attorneys um, said yesterday that they were going to make their own report because it sounded like, if you remember the statement that one of Ruggs' attorneys made yesterday, who's represented other Raiders, the same attorneys that represented Josh Jacobs when he crashed into uh, the wall at the airport at, at McCarran, which we talked about, he said, do not believe everything you hear. And I thought that was pretty interesting, too, because that's not something you really want to say when you're dealing with a death here. I mean, he caused the death. And now, with more information out there, that he was going 156, the airbags were deployed at, at a 127 miles per hour, and there's no fault of the driver of the RAV4. And we'll get more information 
as the story continues to unfold, but it sounds like she was sitting at a stoplight, more than likely. Or if she was going at a very small speed, because as we talked about last hour, that car was dragged, what, 571 feet after impact. Craziness. So Steve Wolfson talking about Ruggs' attorney saying they're going to make their own report. Attorneys have jobs to do. Uh, I've done a number of cases with a number of lawyers. Mr. Ruggs has good lawyers. They have the right to conduct their own investigation. Uh, Let them. Um, But we've conducted our investigation, and the facts are pretty strong at this point. Okay, we talked about the blood alcohol level being at uh, .161, the speed of 156 miles per hour. Here's... uh, District Attorney Steve Wolfson addressing those issues. There's no more suspect anymore. There's no more suspicion. His blood alcohol level came at uh, his blood alcohol level came back at 0.16. That's twice the legal limit. Mr. Ruggs made a choice to drive while under the influence and be twice the legal limit. I've never seen a case uh, in my 41 years here in Las Vegas uh, of a person who's charged with a crime driving in excess of 150 miles an hour. Steve Wolfson also just exactly saying the same thing that Joe Bonaventure, the judge, said that he cannot recall a speed that high in his career on the bench. And this is in basically a residential neighborhood for the most part. Those are apartments right there. And if you watch any of the news reports last night, and I want to give out to our TV brethren out there, I watched every news report last night from Brian Salmon to, uh, to, uh, to Kevin Higgins on, on Channel 5 and Chris Matthews on, on Channel 8. All those guys did a fantastic job. And our good friends at Channel 13 who actually don't have a sports department, but they were on this as well too, all covering this uh, last night. And the motto is the exact same thing. It's like we can't really talk about football at this point in time. But it's a story that's going to resonate with the sports public because it is a football player. It's a member of the Raiders. It's a high-profile member of the Raiders. And we got to think about the family, the victim, uh, the victim's family here as well, too, for a 23-year-old woman and her dog that were killed unnecessarily in this. And this goes back to, you know, the high-profileness of of Henry Ruggs and having a star athlete. And unfortunately, would we be talking about this if it wasn't? No, probably not. But this is a tragedy, and this happens just about every day here. And in those news reports that we saw last night, you saw witnesses and people who live in that neighborhood say, this happens all the time. I mean, Numchuck doesn't live far there. He's always saying that you hear sirens all the time. No way anybody should be going more than 50, 55 miles an hour down Rainbow. And I don't want to hear, well, it's 3, 3 o'clock in the morning. It's 156? Are you kidding me? It's insane. But when you talk to those witnesses, they say that that wall over there by Russell near the intersection of Spring Valley has been repaired a couple times. This is a solid brick thick wall. And I know people have said that they've seen that wall repaired four or five times because this is something that happens quite a bit. And when you hear district attorneys and you hear judges say, you know, this is a bad, this is a bad area, period, for speeding. 
And whether it's because of casinos, whether it's because of drinking and late at night and you can drink all hours, still no excuse not to be responsible. You have to be responsible. But Henry Ruggs, like I said, he wasn't taking a lift. He wasn't taking uh, Uber. He wasn't thinking about that. He's got his own car. Thinks he's indestructible. So here's Steve Wolfson talking about the high-profile case here with featuring Henry Ruggs. Mr. Ruggs is no different than anybody else. Whether you're an athlete, whether you're a police officer visiting from out of state, whether it's you, I don't care. Uh, Like I said before, it's about choices. And if somebody chooses to drive while under the influence and drive in excess of 150 miles an hour, we're going to seek justice. Uh, This community needs to understand that driving while impaired is a serious matter. Like I said in the beginning of this uh, conference, this is a tragic and sad day. It's a tragedy because a woman lost her life and a lot of other people are suffering. It's also sad and tragic that Mr. Ruggs is potentially losing an entire career and facing a stiff prison sentence. That's the message. The message is use an alternative. Make a good choice. Don't drink while impaired. I'm sorry. Don't drive while impaired. Uh, Just an excellent statement there. Uh, Steve Wolfson, the district attorney in Clark County, talking about uh, this situation and the message that is being sent there. And you just hope that people get the message. And that's the problem. When people have a blood alcohol level double the size of the legal limit, they're not thinking. They're not caring. And, it, and, and now it's, it's, it's remorse. But here's the thing. When we go back and we've, and we've seen the video or we've seen the pictures of Ruggs and his girlfriend sitting on the side of the road, and like I mentioned earlier, they were crying and they were you know, yelling and screaming. He was well aware, well aware of his actions, well aware of what he did. And that's exactly what Steve Wolfson is saying there, that you make that choice and you made that choice and now he is going to have to pay for it for the rest of his life. But unfortunately, it does not bring back the life of the 23-year-old girl that, uh, that was killed in this accident because Henry Ruggs was irresponsible. We mentioned a gun was found. Not too many people are talking about that. All right, Steve Wolfson, address that. We're exploring that right now. Uh, It's only a a two-day-old investigation. Uh, The evidence shows that a uh, a handgun was found on the floorboard uh, where Mr. Ruggs was driving. So we are going to explore that charge. Can you elaborate on that? Do you know if it was in a case or if it was just unsecured? I don't have that information. Okay, talking about a gun. And we understand it was a loaded firearm as well that he was carrying in his car. All right, so... More to this story that, you know, we look at the blood alcohol level. We're looking at the um, the speed here. I mean, we talked about where where he was coming from, where this happened, okay? And we saw the scenes yesterday that he was actually coming from Top Golf. He was there late. He had video that, that he put out there uh, via his social media with him and his girlfriend at that point in time. Here's a the district attorney, Steve Wilson, talking about what they know after talking to Henry Ruggs 
what he was actually doing late Monday night, early Tuesday morning. The evidence suggests that he was coming from Top Golf, and then I think that there's some evidence to suggest after Top Golf they went over to a friend's house, but I'm not positive. We know that Top Golf closed at midnight. Okay, so he had to make another stop somewhere. Uh, there was talk that he was at a friend's house somewhere else, and then again going down Rainbow, you know, three and a half hours later, the top. Top golf uh, close, so we don't know if the the drinking continued or exactly where he's coming from. But uh, that's uh, what we know so far. Also, um, the DA also talked about a possible second DUI charge. Yes, it's my understanding that she suffered uh, what is called under the law substantial bodily harm. We are reviewing the evidence right now. If it qualifies, there will be a second felony DUI charge. Okay, second uh, DUI charge. So, which would mean more prison time there. All right, let's uh, touch a little bit more about the injuries. I understand he sustained some leg injuries. I'm not familiar with any of the specifics. I've been told that she had a significant wrist injury that required surgery, but I'm not positive. Okay, and then he's talking about Henry Ruggs' girlfriend there. And you could see not to be non-caring or whatever, but you tell he's... It really doesn't really care about Ruggs' injury or his girlfriend's injury because you're more concerned here about what he was doing in the, you know, causing the death of another uh, victim here. And that that's the real thing. All right, uh, here is more from uh, DA Steve Wolfson uh, talking about the charges against Henry Ruggs. You have to understand, he's only been arrested and booked. Next Wednesday, you will learn what charges are filed. We are looking at charging him with two counts of felony DUI and an account of reckless driving. And we're exploring whether or not the evidence supports any charges with regard to the gun. Okay. So you're talking also about the a second DUI, and that is uh, involving Ruggs' girlfriend. Um, so here is a Wolfson talking about that. Yes, the law says if you uh, drive while under the influence and cause either death or substantial bodily harm to another person, it's a separate count. So the passenger in his car, who was maybe substantial, substantially bodily injured, that may give rise to the second count. What's the punishment range for those offenses? Two to 20 years in prison. For, for reckless and DUI? No, reckless is one to six. Felony DUI is two to 20 each. Is that with enhancements? No, that, there is no enhancement. It's felony DUI causing death or substantial bodily injury. So for the young woman that lost her life, that's one count. For the passenger, that's a potential second count. All right, well explained by the District Attorney Steve Wolfson. Uh, final comment here, talking about the total punishment for the minimum versus the maximum for Henry Ruggs III. Well, the minimum would be two years. The maximum would be 46. And that could increase depending on whether we file an additional charge involving the gun. There it is. So we heard 2 to 20 yesterday. So now you incorporate, because he had a passenger, she was there. So that is a second DUI charge. So basically everything is basically doubled to 46 years. And like he said there at the end, this could mean even more because now you're carrying a loaded firearm as well. That's not even factoring that in. So this story will continue to evolve. It will continue to develop. But one thing that isn't changing is that 
the victim who was driving the Toyota RAV4 and her dog, they're dead. They're not coming back. And Henry Ruggs, more than likely, will never play football again. Definitely will not play for the Las Vegas Raiders again. And it's just a matter of how much time he's going to do. So you hear from the district attorney, from Steve Wolfson, it will be interesting to hear from Ruggs' attorney because they've already put that out there. They're saying, well, we're doing our own report. And then they also said, do not believe everything you hear. It's kind of hard not to believe which, everything we don't hear. You think that the, the police are going to be that far off or forensics experts are going to be that far off on what your blood alcohol level is or how fast you were going? We mentioned yesterday, when I was driving to the show yesterday, I was nearly late because I was coming from that side of town. I was coming by Rainbow, and it was blocked off. So I had to, to detour, and it took me a long time to get here yesterday. And then when I got home last night, I, w- I was watching, like I said, the different newscasts, and to see how long that, that, uh, that stretch of road was closed. It was like nine and a half hours. You know, it didn't open up again, I guess, till 5.30. And remember, this accident occurred at 3.39 a.m. So they had cones out there. They had, all, they had all kinds of people out there doing their due diligence. And it was quite a messy crime scene with two total vehicles. So we'll continue to get more information. We'll continue to talk uh, about this and more that we find out. And then from the Raiders' perspective, again, that press conference happening in Henderson at the Raiders' facility as we speak. So we will continue to follow this, continue to monitor all of this. All right, when we come back, uh, Dr. Christina Madison is going to join us as uh, we talk some COVID stuff. Obviously, we you know at times we think that COVID is is done in the world. A lot of people act like it's over. A lot of people not wearing masks. Things have opened up as far from a sporting you know, a venue perspective. Uh, UNLV made the announcement yesterday that they're still taking this very, very seriously, and they only want people watching games at UNLV at the Thomas & Mack Center that are fully vaccinated, very similar to what the Raiders have decided to do as well, too. We have a big fight in town this weekend, Canelo Alvarez, and you know how that goes. When Canelo Alvarez fights, it's packed. Okay, that will be at the MGM Grand Saturday night. Looking forward to the fight itself. But you have to be masked up to go inside there. We see that with the Golden Knights as well, too. You must be masked up still to go there. So we'll talk to Christina Madison, get an update uh, with her regarding that. She has been fantastic with us uh, the year plus that we have been talking about the story. And we're going to talk to her about the Aaron Rodgers situation, where Aaron Rodgers is now um, on the COVID pro. Uh, uh, has tested positive for COVID and he will not play this week and maybe even next week. So he has to sit out at least 10 days and uh, why he tested positive. So we will talk about that and a whole lot more coming your way with NFL news here on this Wednesday. <laughs> Check out his big stethoscope or not. It's the Dr. T.C. Martin. It's time to visit with our favorite doctor of all time, the public health pharmacist, Dr. Christina Madison, our expert of so many things, whether it's infectious diseases, 
or just downright good food and drink. Dr. Christina, what is happening, my friend? Oh, my goodness. It's been too long, Susie. Where have you been? You've been having way too much fun without me. I see all your Facebook posts. Well, that's nice that you're following me there on that. But, again, you don't have to be a stranger. I mean, you could have fun with me, okay? You say that I'm having fun without you. I'd be more than fine of having fun with you as well, too. But you, you got to raise your hand once in a while, girl. That's all you got to do. All right. I will be doing that, especially as we are getting close to some of these playoff games. Um, before you know it, Super Bowl will be here. So, you know, you're going to blink and, you know. All these fun things are going to be happening. So what do we think about uh, who won the uh, uh, the, the, the series? Oh, geez. You're going, to, you're going to do that to me now? Are you really going to do that to me on my, yeah. on my, on my day mean, of I know morning? You, I know you were excited about the game, so I... I think a lot of people were sad. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, again, you know, for me, it was, it was, I was sad because my friend, I feel for him, you know, it'd be Dusty Baker. And again, I'm rooting for him. And the people who listen to the show, they know that I'm not an Astros fan, that I'm, I, I support my friend. It'd be like anybody else that had a friend who was a coach or a player or involved in the organization. You want to see them do well. And, uh, you know, yes, I really loved watching this Astros team for the past couple seasons since he's been there. And they had a fantastic season. And I was rooting for them. But unfortunately, last night, the Braves were the better team. I mean, they were the better team in the series. Their bats were alive for all six games in this series. And I I don't hate on the Braves. As a matter of fact, I commend them. And uh, But, yeah, I'm sad because I know it hurts, you know, my friend who – basically has not won a World Series. He's been there on two different occasions. He gets a lot of flack from a lot of people, whether it's fans or media, for not being able to win the big game. And really, that is the farthest thing from the truth, especially for a guy that a lot of people you know, don't know. They don't know him how, how I know him. And a guy who's just so giving and so caring and just, uh, you know, just as, as gracious and uh, just one of the best baseball minds in the business. So that's why I, I, I'm sad today. And other, if it wasn't for that, then I would just say, wow, it's, a, it's, it's great. It, it was a lot of fun. But, you know, neither here nor there. I mean, it just wasn't, it was an anticlimactic game. The way it, you know, when the, the home run hit last night by Solaire to made it 3 nothing. boom, you just felt, okay, this thing is over. Even though the Astros came back, you know, from 4 nothing down a grand slam in the game before, you just kind of had the feeling then it was 5 nothing. It was like, oh, 7 nothing. It's like, okay, let's, uh, let's shut off the TV here, you know. But, uh, no, World Series was fun. It was great being there in Houston. I loved that angle. And uh, it was uh, it, it was a great baseball season. So that's my long winded answer to your short question. <laughs> yeah, it's always better when you know at least it seems like there's not an eventual ending. You know, like get, give me something right, like where it looks like it's a little bit more matched. You know the. The blowout's never fun past, yeah. like, Little League, you know? So. And, and you know what's really, uh, that really hits hits home is the finality of this. I mean, because, okay, now it's over. You play 162 regular season games. You're playing about 40, pre, you know, exhibition games. They're going from the middle of February to the beginning of November, and it's just that finality, like, there is no game tomorrow. Now you're on vacation for the next four months, 
And uh, that's why, you know, this is why sports is great, though, right? I mean, you love the winners, but then the losers, it's crushing. And but it takes you a, a few days to get over it. Then it's like, hey, wait till next year, right? So that's the great thing about sports. Absolutely. You have one of the best jobs in the world. <laughs> well, it's not nearly as important as your job, uh, my dear. So, Dr. Christina Madison, she joins us. I want to talk with you uh, regarding Aaron Rodgers. Um, he said that he was immunized. Okay, now, I want to get this from you. I'll set the, the, the story here again. The Rodgers tested positive for COVID earlier today. He will not play Sunday against the Kansas City Chiefs. Apparently, he was not vaccinated. So he must be quarantined for a minimum of 10 days, even though there's some reports out there the NFL is saying five days, but they're saying that he can't return until November the 13th if he remains asymptomatic. So, But uh, Rogers claims that he had an alternate treatment prior to training camp. He then petitioned the NFL for that treatment to allow him to be considered the same as someone who received one of the approved vaccinations. But after going back and forth with the powers to be at the NFL, the NFL came back and said they ruled that he would not get the same consideration, and he is considered an unvaccinated player. And as you know, unvaccinated players have different protocols than vaccinated players. So a big talk throughout the sporting world today, especially the National Football League, of saying, like, how can you not know that Aaron Rodgers wasn't vaccinated? And even reporters asked him way back when, you know, going back to July, they're saying, well, are you vaccinated? And his response was, I was immunized. So hearing that, Christina, what do you think he meant by that? What does that mean? Well, there's a couple of things, I would say. Um, so the first thing is that there's this kind of thought process that's been in the media around this concept of natural immunity. So basically someone who's claiming that they have antibodies against COVID because they've tested themselves for antibodies, but they actually haven't been vaccinated, right? So this concept of immunity is slightly different than being vaccinated. And so I think, unfortunately, it was an issue of semantics and terminology, and I'm not sure if he was claiming that he received the monoclonal antibodies and that that was what he was saying was used as an alternative to vaccination. But I do know that there's a lot, there's been a lot of chatter around this concept of natural immunity. I mean, you heard Joe Rogan talk about it on his podcast, even had Sanjay Gupta on, and he told him, he said, you know, you know natural immunity is better than the vaccination, which is completely incorrect. We know that natural infection and, and the immunity that you get from it is waning, and it doesn't last as long, and it is not even nearly as effective as the vaccine. But I'm thinking that that's potentially what he was talking about. The sad thing about this is that, you know, here in Nevada, you know, we have a, an immunization registry, so most states have them. But it is extremely easy to just go look up this person's vaccination records and know for sure so the fact that the NFL chose not to investigate further or to just kind of like be on the honor system, I think is a disservice to the other players because, you know, they've been playing with this guy and now here he tests positive and it's putting all of them at jeopardy. 
you know, it's just basically a selfish act. I and mean, anybody, again, who's come in contact with Aaron Rodgers, followed his career, I mean, he is that that type of guy. He's going to do what he wants. And he's displayed this in, in various forms uh, of his life. I mean, going back to what we saw during the offseason where he said, hey, I'm, I'm not going to play and uh, I'll show up to training camp when I want to show up. And to me, it's just one of these type of things like, hey, I'm going to do what I want. Now, whether if you have a fear of being vaccinated, as you know, we've talked about this before and you know better than anybody, you've come across people that say, hey, I, you know, I don't believe in this, whether it's for political reasons or uh, they just, you know, are fearful of shots or they think something, a chip is being stuck into them. I mean, there's a myriad of, of, of reasons here. But in this case, Aaron Rodgers isn't talking about it. And I think this, this, this is not sitting well with fans because this is your MVP. This is a high-profile guy. And anytime something happens to a high-profile guy, people feel they need an explanation. The Packers knew he wasn't vaccinated. I'm sure people in the NFL office knew that he wasn't vaccinated, but that's why they do have protocols for unvaccinated players, and he just has to follow those. He has to wear his mask all the time. He has to go through this. And now if you get COVID, then now you've got to you know, be in the quarantine for a little bit longer. So I, I think that that's where that stands, but it just doesn't sit well because it seems like a selfish act because, like you said, all the other players – you know, they had to get vaccinated, and now they're losing their star quarterback for one or two games. Yeah, it's really unfortunate, and it's so interesting to me considering the fact that we're talking about sports, and sports is so much about, you know, that concept of, of being part of a team and doing something for the greater good, right? Like all the sacrifices that you see people make, are usually for the good of the team. And so it just seems so strange to me that this wouldn't be viewed in the same context. Because, again, if your star player is out, that doesn't just impact the star player. It impacts everybody, right? It impacts their ability to potentially go to the Super Bowl, right? Like, these are all these things that I just don't think he's considering. And, unfortunately, you know, his selfishness may cost them more than just a few games. Dr. Christina Madison uh, joins us, and we're talking about the Aaron Rodgers situation, testing positive uh, for COVID here. Uh, Said he was immunized, uh, but, uh, you know, obviously was uh, not vaccinated. I guess we're hearing, Christina, that uh, he received what homopathic uh, treatment from his personal doctor to raise his antibody levels and ask the NFL to review his status. And then, of course, the NFL and the NFLPA in uh, joint documents ruled him as uh, unvaccinated, and now he has uh, COVID-19. So does that uh, m- you know, make any sense? I mean, did he actually think that with that type of treatment that he could not contact COVID? I mean, anything that we're doing to help boost our immune system is great. But even when you're vaccinated, like just the fact that we saw, you know, like Liz Champagne, like, She got, you know, breakthrough COVID and she was fully vaccinated. So just having a a boosted immunity is not enough. So I I don't know why they would have thought that this homeopathic treatment would be effective, but you never know. Um, Maybe this was something that was poised to him and was told that could be used 
as an alternative. I mean, there's so many things on the internet, right? Like you can pretty much type in whatever you want in Google and it'll support your case, whatever that case may be. So I think this is just somebody who honestly didn't want to be vaccinated, was trying to find a way around the system. And unfortunately he got, he got COVID because he is, you know, trying to live his life as, as if we are not currently in a pandemic. So the NFL and all leagues have their protocols for vaccinated players and unvaccinated players. Should these leagues have stricter rules that all personnel must be vaccinated, whether it's players, coaches, executives? I mean, anybody's going to be in contact with anybody here. Should they just be a little bit more stricter? Because we're seeing no one really going full-blown saying, this is, is what we're asking you to do, but it's just highly recommended. And we've seen it now with the NBA players. Uh, the WNBA is, is probably the closest thing to being near perfect where everyone was on on board, but we're seeing it you know, with these other leagues that not everybody is, is all in. Yeah, I, it's a really hard thing to say because I think that the NFL is, is they're skirting a fine line between personal choice and financial and, you know, enablers. So the fact that they're saying, you know, we are recommending that you get vaccinated, but we're not mandating it, I think was a way for them to kind of save face because there's so much political backlash around companies that have chosen to do vaccine mandates. And so I think they were just really trying to be, you know, try to have the best of both worlds by, you know, putting some of those financial negative, you know, things in place and hoping that that would be a deterrent enough for them to not go without being vaccinated. But unfortunately, because they haven't been as strict about it, it definitely made it more challenging for some of these, you know, not to call them fringe players, but these players that are kind of on the edges that don't want to, you know, comply. It's made it more difficult for them to have any kind of teeth in their recommendations. So UNLV basketball will open their season uh, the men on Wednesday, and they came out yesterday and issued their statement saying that um, if you want to attend games, you must be vaccinated. And we've seen the Raiders do this. Uh, we have not seen the Golden Knights do it. And in many other boxing and UFC events, they haven't done it, so you have to you know wear masks. So it really is is incumbent basically upon the team or the event or that situation. Let me ask you, if teams okay, can do this and say, we're doing it and really not get any backlash. Everybody's okay, that's fine. I, I, I can't go to a Raiders game because I'm not vaccinated. It's, it's kind of like smoking and non-smoking, okay? Hey, uh, you know, you, you can't get in, into this building uh, it's smoking, okay? Then I, I can't go or I've got to go outside and, and do that. So why can't leagues do this? If teams are able to do it, why is it difficult for leagues to just to say, Everyone has to be vaccinated. I think that is the question of the day, right? I mean, ultimately, these individual franchises have the ability to do it. So why can't it just be a league policy, right? And I think, again, it goes back to a lot of the political backlash that has been seen around businesses and organizations requiring vaccinations and doing things like mask mask mandates and vaccine mandates. 
And I think it's just them trying to stave off some of that negative criticism. Um, you know, ultimately, when you think about, you know, places like UNLV, I don't think they really had a choice because, you know, the Nevada, um, you know, higher education, they had already ruled that all students had to be vaccinated to be on campus. So I think it would have been kind of hypocritical of them if they didn't make that requirement just because that was a, a university and statewide, um, you know, mandate. But, you know, when we talk about these professional sports, again, I think it goes back to the financial aspect. And it's like, do you really think, I mean, and I think that, you know, obviously Allegiant Stadium and the Raiders, they were really taking a chance on, you know, mandating those vaccinations. But, you know, it's a brand new stadium. You know, there is a lot, they had a lot riding on that. And, you know, there were several people who canceled, you know, and decided not to, you know, yep. not to go and ask for their money back. But I will tell you that they vaccinated over 60,000 people because of the fact that they required it to get into the stadium. And there are many people who have said on camera that the only reason that they got vaccinated was because otherwise they wouldn't have been able to see the Raiders. Right. So I actually think it may be an incentive for people that are going without vaccination. And I'm hopeful that more teams will think about doing it and more venues will think about doing it. And I love the fact that it's, it's there for them. They can offer it. So it's like not only are we telling you you need to be vaccinated, but we're also giving you the means to get vaccinated on site. Great point. Dr. Christina Madison joins us. Okay, we'll leave you with this. You know, winter is coming. Some parts of the country it already is winter. But here, you know, locally, uh, it means more sickness. Uh, where are we at with the latest on COVID or any of the other serious viruses that we're hearing about? And, and part two, how are we doing locally right now, in your opinion? So um, we're actually doing pretty well. Um, you know, locally, we are... We're, we're kind of in the middle. We're not low cases and we're not high cases. Um, so we're, we are down about 50% um, from the peak when we first started seeing the surge of the Delta variant. Um, and, you know, we did see a pretty good uptick in vaccination, so that helped. However, you know, we were seeing more pediatric cases because the kids went back to school. So it's kind of been a mixed bag. Um, luckily, our hospitalization rates are down, our ICU utilization is down, but unfortunately, um, the rate of death has kind of been at a plateau. So the people who are getting sick and are, are needing hospitalization are very sick, like they're sicker and they're sicker quicker. Um, so that's unfortunate. And so that's why we're really pushing, you know, the new recommendations for people to get the booster doses. And then now with the you know, the CDC authorizing the vaccinations for the 5 to 11-year-olds, um, you know, those should be rolling out by the end of this week and fully implemented and in pediatricians' offices and pharmacies by next Monday. So that, I think, is really going to help us um, as the winter months, um, in, you know, start to get more uh, people indoors and in more high congregate settings. And as we all start to think about the holidays and doing Thanksgiving and Christmas dinners, right? So those are all things that I think are, are going positively right now, but it's going to take all of us together to make sure that, you know, our Aunt Susie that is maybe, you know, has chronic medical conditions, make sure she gets her booster, 
make sure grandma goes and gets her booster, make sure that the kiddos get their shots um, so that, you know, that so we can survive the winter. All right. Great stuff there. I love it when you go to Aunt Susie all the time. I'd say, you, I, you know, hello to Aunt Susie for us, okay? Absolutely. <laughs> I, I don't personally have an Aunt Susie, but um, I'm sure there are many people who have Aunt Susie's oh. out there. She is Dr. Christina Madison, the public health pharmacist, publichealthpharmacist.com. You can uh, find her there. Got great stuff, great follow on all of her social media platforms as well, and always educating not only our audience, but, but all of the Las Vegas Valley. We appreciate you so much, uh, my dear. Always, always love having you on, love talking with you. Thank you so much for having me, and I hope everybody had a safe and happy Halloween. And ultimately, you know, I think that you having this information on your show has been extraordinarily helpful. And then also just, you know, the fact that, you know, public health and sports are so closely tied together. I don't think we realized um, how much we needed, you know, sports and how much we needed uh, you know, being able to go to large venues and, and see, you know, sporting events and concerts. And, and I appreciate you um, allowing people to understand how to do that safely. Thank you very much. Real quick, what was your Halloween costume? Oh, goodness. Um, I know so you had one. I, so, I, so I volunteered for the FBI Citizens Academy Alumni Trunk or Treat, um, and I, I wore some mini mouse ears and then when i went trick-or-treating with my kids i had on like a high priestess outfit oh geez look at this look at this. are you crazy <laughs> oh we need photos of this no doubt okay all right sis. all right we'll talk to you later sister christina <laughs> you belong to yes. the astros game yes. Maybe you could have you, you could be you, sister to you. There you go. Very nice. All right. Thank you very much. Dr. Christina Madison. Love having her on. All right. Let's close it out with Philip from Galt. Uh, let's send us out here. Philip wants to talk World Series. What's happening, brother? More importantly, Philip, what did you dress up for in Halloween? What did I dress up as? Yeah. I dressed up as Ray I dressed up as Ray Mysterio from the six one nine. I had my mask on and my luchador mask and it was cool. Well, you do that every day, Philip. What are you talking about? Ah, oh, come on, DC. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Hey, DC. Um, I'm sorry to hear about Dusty Baker, your friend. I know he's a great friend to us. Um, did you have fun seeing him though the other day? And then, real quick, I know you're closing it out, but I would love to see Mark McGuire become the next A's manager. He's been a hitting coach. He was Oakland A's great. I think uh, it would be cool to see Mark McGuire. I mean, uh, that's thinking outside the box, but that's me. Hey, TC, love you. I like to keep the light, the light mood, and, and uh, I can't wait till we get to talk to RVD pretty soon again. Let me know when we can. All right, bye, TC. Thank you, brother. Philip, checking in. Uh, Phil, that is a great call with Mark McGuire. I mean, kudos to Philip. That should be the breaking news. Mark McGuire. And again, he's just not an A's legend. He's just not a figurehead. This guy has been a coach for decades in Major League Baseball. He's been a hitting instructor. And, you know, there are a lot of people that said, well, Mark McGuire will never be a manager because of the steroid issue and this and that. But he's in Major League Baseball, and he's a very good hitting instructor as well. 
I'm thinking the A's will probably go low budget, stick to their staff, and probably go Ryan Christensen, who's been on their staff uh, underneath Bob Melvin for for quite some time. Uh, you know, but I love that idea. Are you kidding me? Especially if, if, with an organization like the A's that are in flux, that you're not sure if your you know your fan base is going to stay or go, and you're going to lose your better uh, players again to free agency. But the question here would be, and this is what I'd like to know. Would Mark McGuire take that job? Would he want that job? Because clearly it's a rebuilding job. And the A's do a fantastic job in their minor league system. But they're always rebuilding. And I know people here in Vegas are thinking, hey, you know, I'm one of them thinking the A's are going to end up here. And you don't want to see that kind of mentality. You want to see maybe once they get a home like Vegas, it's, they know it's going to be permanent with a brand new stadium, they're going to be able to attract for agents. Then they're going to have to up the payroll and everything, and then uh, you won't be in transition each and every year. But good stuff, Philip. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Like I said, you know, just uh, feel bad uh, for for Dusty Baker, but uh, the Astros had a fantastic season, and uh, they improved from last year to this year. It was a great season for them. All right, I want to thank Dr. Christina Madison uh, for joining us. TJ Rees from Tampa Bay as well, too. If you miss any part of the show, go to the website, tcmartinshow.com. Tomorrow, we've got boxing to talk about, more NFL, uh, a lot of guests uh, on tap as we get ready for fight week here in Las Vegas and, of course, at the Cosmopolitan on Friday. If you miss any part of the show, you know where to go. Go to the website at tcmartinshow.com. Have yourself a good one, and we reconvene tomorrow at 2.